0: Acts chapter 20. Let's stand together, please. We'll begin reading in verse 17. I don't know if you ever read portions of Scripture that just um, grip your heart, but this is one of those passages of Scriptures that sometimes when I read it, it just grips my heart. It's, it's, It's the occasion of Paul... When he calls for the elders of Ephesus, that's the pastors of the church at Ephesus, to meet him. And there he's going to give them some instructions. We'll only look at a bit of it. But this context ends with them weeping together for the saying which he said that he, they would see his face no more. Because Paul knew that this was the beginning of the end of the chapter, the uh, a fin- final chapter of his life. Begins in this, in this passage. And it's a very emotional passage. Someone who spent his whole life in the gospel ministry. And in verse 17 it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know that from the first day that I came into Asia, After what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. Which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying (coughs) that bonds and afflictions abide me. Wherever he went, there were those who testified to him that they, that they knew, they felt like, that bonds and afflictions would await him in Jerusalem. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. (coughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for a perfect Bible, for a perfectly inspired and given word, and a sovereignly, divinely preserved word for us, that we could read with confidence the very word of God. We read it, Lord, tonight, and we, as we do, we pray that you'd help us look into the scripture together, help us to just focus our minds on this simple thought about our lives and what our lives are to be about. We pray for your help. Father, deliver us from just drifting along in the apathy and unconcern, lack of concern about the direction for our life, the direction for our family for our children, for our marriages, for our future, for our church. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to realize that we have a responsibility and opportunity in these days. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul says here in this passage, I'm sure many of you, most of you are familiar with it, I finished, that I might finish my course with joy. Notice he said that I might finish my course. So Paul was, Paul was concerned about that. And it, it, for some of you who are a lot younger, you may not even be too concerned about how you finish your course. But I want to remind you tonight that none of us know how long our course is. Um, those of us who have some common friends, mutual friends in social media... We uh, were made aware a few days ago about a pastor, a young pastor. Uh, I don't know him personally. About 30-something years old, 36 years old, something like that. Had a wife, several children, pastor in a church. He fell ill, felt sick, passed out, and he, he died. And... Um, Here's a guy, so I'm, saying, I'm sure at 36, he probably thought, man, I've got a lot of life ahead of me, a lot of, a lot of miles ahead of me. The point is, you don't know how long you have. Just because you think you're going to live to be 50, 60, 70, 80 years old doesn't mean you're going to live that long. You could finish your race a lot sooner than you anticipate finishing your race. And, and so Paul was concerned about finishing his course. As I said earlier, this represents to me entering the final chapter of his life. And this is a good question to ask. I think it's a relevant question to ask. How do you want to end your life? How do you want to finish your life? Spiritually, how how do you want to conclude this race that you're in? How, How do you want to be? How do you want to be when your life... Is over. How do you how do you want to be when you stand before the Lord? I've thought about this uh, quite a bit in the last few days, just personally. I usually do this at the end of the year, kind of a, a re, of an evaluation, an assessment for, of my own life, <coughs> and think about standing before the Lord. I hear I hear people so flippantly, people who aren't even living for the Lord, people who aren't even serious about spiritual things. You know, talking about going to, to heaven like it's really, you know, like it, there's nothing really to be concerned about or feared about. And it's good to be, to be saved and know that you're saved. But I'm telling you, I'm going to stand before the Lord one day. That's a pretty serious thing to think about. And how do I want to be? How do I want my life to be? How, if I, how am I going to finish my life that I want to stand before the Lord? And, um, and I believe the way we run the race... It's going to determine how we finish the race, how we complete the race. And so the way we, you know, there's a lot that goes on to this thing. Paul says, I I want to finish my course with joy. And I think there's a lot that goes on into that. The way we prepare for a race, the way we handle distractions and obstacles along the way. And other things determine how the race is finished. So Paul refers to this, if you look with me in verse 24, that I may finish my course. He said this was his course. And and that's what that's talking about. He used similar language in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, as we know, was the last epistle, the last letter, the last communication that Paul gave us. And in that fourth chapter, he said this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, I've kept the faith. Now, the my course, and I, and here he says that I might, in verse 24, that I might finish my course, and the same thing he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's talking about his life. God's, God's plan for you is not the same as God's plan for me. I can't finish your life. I can't finish your course. Your course is not the same as your brother or sister. It's not the same as your mom or dad. It's not the same as your husband and wife. It's not the same as your pastor. But you have a course. You have a, you have, there's a life that God wants you to live. And Paul was interested in finishing his course. I think it means more than just saying his life. His, he wants to finish his life. He's going to live out his life. This the word course, I, I don't always do this, but I frequently will. When I'm thinking about a word, I'll look up the etymology of the word, the origin of the word. And the word course, as we have here in our King James Bible, uh, had its origin in the 12th century. And it means a, a track that's navigated by a ship or a journey or direction by ship. And it's, and it's talking about the course that that ship goes on. You know, I was thinking about this trip to Africa... And very thankful that uh, it's only 14 hours. I mean, imagine what it had been like, you know, many, many years ago. And it had been months by ship to get there, right? I mean, this is... But when we get on that plane, and I'm thinking, we're going to be in the air for 14 hours. I'm trusting he knows where he's going. I'm trusting he's thought about this, right? Before we leave the ground. He's got a plan. He's got this journey planned out. And by the way, that's what this language is talking about. You could go... You could go today. You could go to the Atlantic Ocean and you could rent a vessel. You could board a ship and uh, you could just take out across the Atlantic. But where might you end up? Does it matter where you end up? I would think so. Well, if you would be concerned about a plane knowing where it's supposed to land or a boat knowing where it's supposed to dock, why wouldn't we be concerned about where our life is supposed to end, you know? Where, where we're, how we want to finish this up, and how are we going to get there? You know, thank God for GPS technology, right? You know, all you have to do is pick up, pull out your phone. Hey Siri, navigate to wherever you want to go, and there, and as long as the signal's good, you'll get close. But in the days that this word came into existence, they didn't have. You know, satellite technology. They didn't have GPS navigation. Let me let me say something to you today, and I hope you'd think about this because I'm convinced that people who don't take life seriously, so their spiritual life, they don't read their Bible seriously. They're not in Bible study to grow in grace. They're not carried about. They're not in the ministry to help people. I don't think they're really planning where they want their life to be. I, th- I think we ought to put a little forethought into the way we're living our life. Because the way we live our life is going to determine how we finish this journey. And if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know how to maintain the right course, how do you know you're going to know when you get there? You know, I don't think a lot of people think too much about it. Um... Every once in a while, I'll ask somebody, "How's it going?" And they'll say, "It's going." You ever, have you ever said that? Don't raise your hand if you have. But when someone says that to me, it's almost like saying, "I don't really know where it's going," and I don't really, you know. I, and I want to say I didn't ask if it's going. I can see it's going. I mean, right? You're here. You're breathing. You're. You're. I can see it's going. But how's it going? And the reason is because people just are living their life to a great degree without any thought, really, about what I'm doing, where I'm going, and how is this going to end up. I think God has something better for us. And so we're going to be focusing on that in various ways throughout this next year. Now, in Acts chapter 20, let's stay stay in Acts 20 for a moment. As you read this passage, and we read through it a moment ago, You you see some things about Paul's life that helped him maintain this course. And each of them we could spend a lot of time on, which we will not tonight. But I believe these were like predetermined, calculated decisions about how he wanted to live his life. For instance, in verse 18 he says, "Um, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, When these elders arrived, you know... That from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons. Imagine that. You know that from the first time we ever met, the kind of person I've lived through all seasons. That basically means in good times and bad times. In warm weather and cold weather. When we were popular and when we were unpopular, we have been the same. So he had been consistent throughout his life. He had been predictable throughout his life. And I just want to suggest, to finish our course well, we might want to think about doing the right things, but keep doing the right things. Not just do them hit and miss. Not just do them, you know, occasionally. Like like this is the time of the new year. We can be plotting out our life. How are we going to live our life? We're going to read our Bible consistently. We're going to spend time every day with the Lord. We're going to confess our sins as soon as we recognize them, realize we've sinned. This is the way we're going to live our life. It'd be, wouldn't it be good to do, start doing that on January the 1st, 2019, and still be doing it every day, every day, until December the thirty-first, two thousand and nineteen. And in two thousand and twenty, you're still doing the same thing. And in two thousand and twenty-five, you're still doing the same thing. Instead of starting off and doing something for a few days, and when your wife starts asking you, hey, you've been reading your Bible? We you start reading our Bible again. I think God has something better for us. No wonder we're not getting where we want to go if we're not consistently doing the things that we ought to be doing makes sense, doesn't it? makes sense to me. And so, so Paul says, I've been doing this same thing, same thing. Some people get, get committed. They're going to start tithing and they'll do that for a few weeks or a few months. And then the washing machine breaks down and they quit for a while, you know, and then why don't, why don't we just start doing it and keep doing it all our life? Why don't don't you just start doing the right thing and just keep doing it until you breathe your last breath? I think that would be a a good plan, right? For, For finishing our course. Verse 19, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. He said he's been serving the Lord with... Humility for all these years. He's been enduring difficulties and obstacles. Paul, Paul's, there were times when Paul, they wanted to make an idol out of Paul. There were times when they wanted seriously to worship him as an idol. There were also times when he had to be let down over the wall in a basket to save his life, right? It wasn't always fame. It wasn't always, he wasn't always popular. But what he says is basically that uh, that with humility of mind through all these difficulties by the grace of God we've endured and then he talks in 20 about his teaching ministry how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house a public ministry a, a private ministry In verse 24 he says none of these things move me the threat of bonds and afflictions, that means being in jail, that means persecution, that means being in prison. None of those things affect me. Why? Because I don't count my life dear unto myself. He, he was not living for himself. He is denying himself. He's living for Christ. And I, I'm, I'm going to get away from this tonight, but this is the way he lived his whole life. This is the way, how are we going to finish our race? How are you going to finish your race? How, how do you want to finish I think we ought to think about it. And I want to just transition for a moment tonight to making it personal in our course. You know, like I said, before a mariner, before a captain of a ship leaves port, him, surely he's got a plan for how he's going to arrive at the destination. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know if I, if I am going to die. I mean, Jesus could come back, right, and take us. He could come back tonight and take us. So we don't know those things. We don't know how we're going to die. But if Jesus doesn't come back and take us, we are going to. But that's all in God's hands. How we die and when we die is not in our hands. But what is in our hands is how we're going to finish this race, how we're going to be living when we die. You don't have to always be changing what your priorities are unless you're improving them. You don't always have to be changing. We don't always have to be changing um, the way we live as far as what our 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 disciplines are our devotion is those can could change year could be the same year after year after year and so if this mariner this this captain of the ship is going to get to a destination he ought to have a plan hopefully he has a hopefully he has a plan so what does it mean this theme charting a course what does it mean to chart our course. Like I said, it's a metaphor, like I said, that, was, that comes from nautical language. And chart, we think of charting, but a chart is what you think about when you think about like a diagram. A chart is a diagram or a map. Um, before I decided on where the, all the places we were going to be in South Africa, I took a map of South Africa. I pinpointed where all these different missionaries live and talk, began to talk about how we would be the best stewardship of our time to be in these, all these different places over a period of weeks. So to, to decide on a course, let's imagine, could you just imagine with me tonight that you are the captain of a ship or you are the, or you are the um, pilot of a plane, God forbid. But let's just imagine that, okay? And... Um, and you've got this voyage before you. How are you going to decide your course? You have to study the chart. You have to plan. You have to plan a journey. And, and um, you know, if you look at you can't see it maybe from where you are. But if you look at this graphic up at the top right, there's a compass. It's nice to have a compass. Now, I, I generally know which direction I'm looking and which direction I'm going. And, but I don't always know. Sometimes I get turned around. But a compass is a pretty handy thing to have because it, it always tells you what direction you're going. And you might have maps. Those maps in old days would have, would have um, landmarks like, a, like maybe a, a coastline or an island or, or whatever it may be. But you could follow that. You could chart that. And, and you might have binoculars because if you're sailing... You need to know what's not just right in front of you. It might be good to know what's a hundred yards out or further out. These are tools that you would have. To chart a course is to choose a plan to determine an outcome. And I'm gonna apply it to more general ways in a moment, but but I, I'm really I really think that for for folks, if we could just sit down and decide what is it is really important in our life i, I if we 're not careful the world 's going to tell us what 's important rather than letting God tell us what 's important you know i i'm i 'm glad for uh, for instance our grandkids play soccer in different sports and we 're glad for that we go to it we enjoy it but but some people just live live for whatever the community says you 've got to do for your kids, and we ought to be there's nothing wrong with those things, but we ought to be thinking about am I teaching my children to serve the Lord? am I teaching are we teaching our children how to communicate with other adults? these kind of things. I mean we ought to be thinking about these things and that requires a plan to lay out a charting a course is laying out a plan. It's mapping out a journey. and this is a perfect time of the year to do it. The new year is a perfect time of the year. To, do, to think about setting goals, to make positive changes in our life. Now, I know this happens sometimes because I've, I've heard that it happens. I know it happens in my life, and I know it happens in other people's life. And that is things are going to happen that you don't plan on, right? You can't determine all that. And sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're unfortunate things or things that, we, that, that really set us back. There's always going to be a degree of uncertainty. We don't do this. We don't set a plan and say, God, the only way I'm going to do this is if you always meet every expectation. That's not what we do. We say, God, we're going to make a plan trusting that you're going to have your will and way in it. And for a person to say, you know, since since we can't we can't determine every outcome, then we then we're not even going to, we're not even going to be, you know, we're not even going to be involved. We're not going to trust the Lord. We can't control the future, so it doesn't matter how we live. I don't think that's how God wants us to live. I believe God wants us to set our goals and set goals, trusting Him to lead us and, and, and look for ways to improve. Ask yourself this question tonight. I mean, we have one day left of 2018. One day. So ask yourself what do you know for certain that you're going to do differently in the coming weeks and months? To improve yourself as a dad, as a mom, as a Christian, as a servant of God. What, are you, what have you already determined that you're going to do differently? And some people in this room have already determined some things. But some people hadn't even thought about it. And six months later, they still won't be thinking about it. And six months after that, they still won't be thinking about it. And we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. I think we're not, one of the reasons we're not getting anywhere is we're not planning to get anywhere. So we want to chart this course, and now's a good time to do it. I read a couple of days ago, actually it may have been yesterday on social media, uh, this quote. I just remembered I've only got three days to complete my 2018 New Year's resolutions. So I need to lose 40 pounds, become a helicopter pilot, and learn to play the guitar in three days. <laughs> you know, making a plan doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. But if, but if you don't make a plan, it's surely not going to happen. I don't think people grow in grace by accident. I don't think people mature and learn their Bible better by accident. I don't think we become better witnesses. By, I think we have to work at these things. And so my challenge for us tonight is that we would, as individuals and families, that we would chart a course, not just for the new year, but do it this year for our life. How would we invest our time and energy and resources if we really had a more of a commitment to how we want the finished product to be? And the most important question ought to be this. What does God want? What does God want out of our life? What does God want? From our family. What's best for us. As a family. And as the children of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to quickly give you some things. That would be good to consider. We're not going to talk about these at all. Or any detail. But one is the use of our time. I mentioned just a moment ago. Some things I've read on social media. There's nothing wrong with social media. But there is something wrong. With living for social media. When it. When it controls your life. You ought to think about your time. You know, we don't have time to read our Bible. We've got a time to search Facebook. There's something wrong with that. We ought, to, we ought to talk about the use of our time. We ought to think about building relationships or strengthening relationships within our family, within our friends' circle of friends. We ought to think about our church life, our, our attendance, our faithfulness, our ministry, how, how God would have us to serve in the church. We ought to think about our financial health, You know, all of us at some time in our life have found ourselves in a place where we're just barely getting by or just are living from paycheck to paycheck. And maybe sometimes circumstances dictate so many things that that's the best we can do. But I don't think we have to always be there. You know what I'm saying? I think God has something better for us. I think we ought to, if we take it seriously, not just talk about it, but take it seriously. Seriously. You know, we're going we're to plan, plan our giving. We're going to plan our saving. We're going to plan our spending. And we don't have to spend everything we make or more than what we make. You know, financial health is not the most important thing in life. It's really not, but it's an important thing. And as parents, we ought to want our children to be financially responsible. We ought to want to teach them and train them and show them how to do that our physical well-being, the way we're taking care of ourselves. We ought to be good stewards of the body that God's given us. How about our devotional life, our spiritual growth, time spent in the Word of God? What about witnessing and outreach? All these things are things that should matter to every Christian. Not just to every preacher, but every Christian. Every one of these teenagers here should be concerned about their spiritual growth. Now, we're concerned about, you know, who's going to be... Uh, who's going to win the championship game, college football. We're concerned about those kind of things. But are we really concerned about the things that matter the most in our spiritual life? Wouldn't Wouldn't it be a horrible thing tonight for someone who has been in a church where they've been taught and encouraged and challenged about being a spiritually mature person to leave this life and stand before the Lord and their whole life have just been hit and miss reading the Bible occasionally and not really having a sincere, surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ. On a daily basis, every day of their life, wouldn't it be, you say, well, man, if you're saved, what difference does it make? It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. So, these are all things to consider. Go with me if you would to Proverbs chapter 16. And I want to, I want to just deal for a moment with the subject of planning, of making plans. Because one might ask the question, well, you know, is it really biblical? Is, it, is there any biblical foundation for actually making plans? Well, there, there is some. And look in Proverbs 16, a favorite passage of mine when it comes to the subject. And I just want to read a few verses, the first three verses, and just think about them quickly. The first verse says, the preparations of the heart in man. The word preparations has to do with thinking through the mental process. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue. The things that a man prepares in his mind and heart to do and the the answer of the tongue, the things he says, is from the Lord. In other words, the Lord is involved in that. Then look in verse 2. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. You know, a man can justify about anything, but a man who's surrendered to the Lord, God's, gonna, God's going to work in his heart. God's going to show him where he's wrong. He weighs the spirits. And then look in verse 3, one of the great promises of the Bible. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. God can work in our thoughts. God can work in our planning. God can work in our mind. I would summarize these Three verses with, with this statement about planning. We should make plans trusting God to guide us. Trusting God to guide us. And you may be thinking tonight, this sounds like such a drastic overhaul from the way that I've been. That it's this, this way to, well then just take it in chunks. Take a little piece of it. Just take the devotional aspect of it. Take trusting God in some area of your life and say, I'm going to chart a course for, for improving this area of my life. Create a plan. It's been well said, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. And if you're making plans, if I'm making a planning this trip that we're going to, if we're making plans, I want to give you four things in making a life plan for this year and for the rest of your life that I think would help all of us. Number one, be specific. Don't just say, I want to grow in the Lord. How do you want to grow? Don't just say, I want to be a better Christian. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by being a better Christian? Be specific about it. Do a thorough assessment. These are the areas that I want to improve. These are the things I want to work on. Second of all, be honest. You know, you can't get you can't get to the right destination if you're going the wrong direction be honest be painfully honest this is what I need to be doing more of this is what I need to be doing less of this is this is where I need to really really uh, have a transformation in my life be honest thirdly be serious take it seriously take it seriously and the fourth thing is be accountable First of all, be accountable to yourself. Be accountable. Second of all, be accountable to God. Be accountable means you answer to someone. Be accountable to yourself. Be be accountable to God. And thirdly, be accountable to others. Maybe to your spouse. Maybe to your friend. Be accountable to other people. This this is what I'm working on. Could you imagine what it'd be like if a person... I mentioned this morning, I was talking this morning about... uh, this matter of lying, and for a person to say, it's one thing for a person to say, you know, I know that I'm a liar. It's another person to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to change this. Imagine imagine finding someone who was a compulsive liar, and I've known some compulsive liars, some chronic liars in my life, who profess to be saved, which... The Bible says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. So, so that, that's a bit of a challenge to me. Someone who lie, can't keep from lying, but they say that they're saved. But regardless of that, imagine a person who got serious enough to say, they'd say to their friend or their husband or their wife, someone close to, look, I, I have a problem. And my problem is that I find it very easy to say things that are not completely honest. But with your help and with God's help, I want to fix this. Well, don't you think that would be a good course? It may be painful. It may be uncomfortable. Or saying, you know, just say, I'm, be honest, I'm a hypocrite. I act like I'm one thing when really I'm not. You say, you think people who profess Christ have those struggles? Sure. We all have problems. We all struggle with things. But you don't fix them if you're not being honest about it. You just keep we just keep on going through the same thing. Wouldn't it be great to say I'm tired? I'm, it's kind of like the children of Israel when he says you've been round this mountain t- t- long enough. Let's get on with the journey. Let's let's move on to some other area of our life. And I think charting a course is a good terminology to use to consider that. Be accountable. And like I said, we need a compass. We need we need direction. And the greatest source of of direction we have is right here. It's the word of God. It's the most reliable compass that we have for how to speak to each other, for how to receive each other, for how to love each other, to how, to how to be what God wants us to be, how to order our finances and help our families, our children. And if we see that we're sailing in a direction that violates the word of God, we ought to say, I've got to change my direction. We have, we have two things tonight. We have this. We have the word of God but second of all, we ought to develop a system, a program, a plan that's detailed enough, a map roadmap that helps us. You know, when you when you built when we built this building, or when, you know, those of you who've ever been involved in construction of a house, a project. You always go back to the architectural drawings. You all go back to the plan. We, you know, the carpenter doesn't have the liberty just to start throwing up boards everywhere he wants to. Right? He follows the plan. And we ought to follow the plan. We ought to quit excusing, making excuses about character deficiencies and problems and say, look, I'm going I'm to fix this. You're in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 24. We're almost finished tonight. Proverbs chapter 24. And verse 27. Here's a verse about preparation and planning. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare thy work without. Prepare it without. Make a plan and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house. You don't just go build a house by throwing up a two by four and nailing another one to it. You've got a plan. We follow that plan. We have a roadmap. We have a chart. I've been thinking a lot because of, one of the, some of the lessons I'm going to be teaching to some uh, young adults, college-age young people in Africa. And it's, it's taken from when, when Saul had disobeyed God and an evil spirit from the Lord began to trouble him. You remember that story in the Bible? An evil spirit from the Lord was troubling him. And, and he had a conversation with some of his servants. And they said, uh, he said, or someone suggests what you need is you need to find a man, a skilled musician. And when he plays for you, then it'll bring relief, spiritual relief in your life. By the way, certain kind of music certainly can help us emotionally and spiritually, and certain kind of music damages us, I believe. So, so, so Saul said, that's a, that's a plan. Let's do this. Why don't, you go, why don't you go find a man like that? Why don't you go find a man like that? And one of Saul's servants says, I think this is a direct quote, I have seen such a man. And that man, of course, was David. Think about this. That man was David. By the way, David had already been been anointed by Samuel to be the king that would succeed Saul, right? He had already been anointed. And God had determined that he was going to do that. And when Saul commissioned his servant to get that man, here's the point. That man, David, didn't have to go to... Seminary to get ready. He didn't have to become a he didn't have to start taking his music lessons seriously. This is a teenager. When he he called for David, David was ready. Right then. Ready right then. What if what if God needed somebody today? Teenager, what if he needs somebody today to fill a very important place? And you say, Well, give me a couple of years, I'll be ready. It wasn't going to be that way for for Saul. He needed somebody right now. His life was already being prepared. And so, so God, I think it's wise for us to think about what does God want for my life today? Right? What does he want for my life today? But also through this year, not only do I want to encourage us to consider, reconsider, think about this and how it applies to our life, but I want to I want to to think about charting our course as a church. You know, I know for a fact that there are people in our church, people in this room, and I know it because they talk to me about it, that are seriously thinking about how this church will be in 20 years. Some of you have little bitty children, right? You ought to be concerned about that. What kind of church is it going to be? And you know what? It's not just going to be me that makes it the kind of church. It's going to be you. And, and, and too far too many people just come in and sit in a chair and, that's, and they feel like they've done their duty because they come and sit in a chair when really they're doing very little, if anything, to contribute to where this, to chart a course for where this church is going to be in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. It takes planning, it takes thinking, and I'm glad for people who think that way, but I want more people to think that way. Amen. You know where where do we want to be 20 years from now? Is a minute. Where do we want to be? How how, how about our impact in this community? Don't you think that's worth thinking about? Our impact in this community, what what role are we going to have? What about our footprint in the world? By that I mean you know, what, what are we doing as far as missions are concerned? What, what are we thinking about as far as other places we might go, places we might help start new churches? You know, should you be thinking about that as a dad? Should you be concerned about that? I said, absolutely. All of us ought to be concerned about that. How are we going to chart a course that means we're going to have a greater impact in our community and at the same time, a greater impact in the world? It, it doesn't just happen. Things don't just happen. We ought to be thinking, what about what about improving uh, just things we're doing here locally? You know? Um, I, I got a good example of this just before church tonight. I was, I was Brother uh, Hoke and I were talking, Justin Hoke. And uh, we we're talking about Brother James, who's here this morning. Adam James, longtime friend of our church, friend of ours. And he and Brother Justin were talking this morning before church. And uh, Brother James, uh, who lives in Oklahoma now, I met him when he was in Ohio. Um, when, he, when he was talking to Justin, he heard Justin's name. This You may think this is weird. He recognized Justin's voice because he's heard him preach enough on the radio. Our, I mean, on the tele, on our podcast, our sermons here, that he recognized his voice. Now you say, what does that have to do with what we're saying? Because things like social media, things like uh, using, you know, social media, and our things like using the media, the the messages, the whatever, to get the God. It impacts people's lives. It's not just recording a sermon so we can say those. No, it's, it's looking for ways to improve what we're doing to make a difference. It's, 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 and if nothing else happens as a result of this, what I hope happens is at least this, that all of us start thinking in terms of how can I improve what I'm doing as a father, as a mother, as a teenager, as a Christian, in our family, and our ministry, we, we don't want to just get satisfied with the status quo or, or satisfied with what we're doing and feeling like just because we're filling a slot, we've done the best we can. Why don't we think about ways to make it better? Whatever it is we're doing, whether it's the nursery, whether it's the choir, whether it's the music ministry, it matters. It may not matter much to you, but I believe it matters to God and it matters to others. What would happen in our ministry if every member, if every single member was a faithful servant of God, serving the Lord? Faithful in their stewardship, faithful in their giving, faithful in their praying, faithful in their place of ministry. What if, what if everybody that you're sitting here tonight, you're a member of this church. What if every person tonight who's sitting here who's a member of this church decided, I am tired of just going through the motions, sign me up, give me something to do, show me a way that I can contribute. What if ever, don't, do you think it'd make a difference? Let me tell you two places it'd make a difference. Number one, it'd make a difference in the ministry. Number two, it'd make a difference in your life. It'd make a difference in your life. You'd become a better person, right? Because we're always improved. When we're helping others, it always improves us. So the thought of charting our course hasn't just got to do with personal goals year-end goals, beginning-of-the-year goals. It has to do with really planning and improving and changing our individual lives, but also the ministry as a whole. I thank God for our church, and I thank God for our ministry, and I thank God for what we're able to do, what we have done, what we are doing, what we're able to do. But you know it's true, and I know it's true. There's so much more that could be done. And should be done. I think it's biblical to make a plan. To chart your course. You don't have to. You can go home tonight and eat some chips and salsa. And go to sleep and get up tomorrow and go through the same motions. And you could, I I promise you, you could. You could be sitting in the same chair a year from now and you hadn't changed a bit. You could if you want to. But who wants to, right? Who wants to? Who wants to be that way? Who wants to live that way? You say, well, I, that's the only way I can live. Oh, no. We can do better than this. We have the promises of God. We have the power of God. We can do better than this. We ought to work at it. It's biblical. And I think it's responsible. In other words, it's, it's, it's what we do as responsible Christians, and it's certainly advisable for a lot of reasons, and, and not the least of which is when we stand before Him one day, it'd be good to be able to say, "I finished my course." It doesn't mean I just lived out my life. It means I figured out what God wanted me to do, and by the grace of God, I've just kept doing it and kept doing it. And He wants us to do. He wants us to do what His will is, what His Word says. So. So I think we should decide on this tonight. This, this really is a, n- a noble idea. This really is. This really has some substance to it. But let's just let's sit on it for about six months and just think about it, right? I think some people would like to do that because it's just our nature. But you know what I think would be better? to say, let's start now. Let's start now. I can't prove this with statistics. But my experience teaches me that most people who settle into a life of leisure spiritually and ease and not really being involved, not really, most people who settle into that life never, never shake themselves out of it. But when you see it happen, it's a marvelous thing to behold. And I've seen it happen where people who just seem like they just had no real incentive, no real motivation, no real fire, no real spark. And then whatever happened, all of a sudden they start more faithful, wanting to help, wanting to serve. That's a wonderful thing to see. Amen? I trust we'll see some of that this year.